Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Scarred Podcast. My experiences working on a burn unit. Thanks for tuning in. There I was, 14 years old, staring at this yellow and black motorcycle. It was a it would have been my first proper motocross dirt bike and it was absolutely beautiful. I kind of had this kind of funny flutter in my stomach as I looked at it in the showroom floor and didn't want to seem too overly excited. I didn't want to get my hopes up because I didn't know whether or not my dad would actually get this for me. And we, he and I talked uh, a little bit about extra work I would have to do on the farm and one thing and another. And the next thing I know, I were putting this, uh, this uh, YZ Yamaha motorcycle into, my, into the back of my dad's truck. And um, yeah, I'm elated. And so that began a pretty extensive love affair of motorcycle riding and uh, desert racing and not, not, not as much... Uh, racing competitively but just having fun in the desert but the the uh, stretch between my house i lived out in the country i think i've said i grew up on a farm but the, the the stretch of land between my house and where my dad's farm was was about a i don't know quarter half a mile and that was my experimental ground of where i risked life and limb uh, trying to get a little bit better a little bit faster all the time my uh, my motorcycle so times change you get older you have to get rid of your fun hobbies your body gets older uh, you know you break things they take longer to heal you have to be a little bit more careful you know so i have the mo motorcycle riding kind of left my life for several years but i was uh i had graduated i had an okay job and one of my friends said hey let's go on a motorcycle trip uh to southern you know down in the desert and i said great i don't have a motorcycle but let's do it and uh anyway i went and bought one uh absolutely had a blast loved getting it loved riding it we're down in the in the, the southern desert and we're uh with a bunch of other guys so there's probably eight guys uh all riding you know motorcycles we've got this huge trailer hauling all the motorcycles so it's nighttime my friend and i uh you know go get in our tent He's the type of guy that uh, he rolls over and in two seconds he's asleep. I'm the type of guy that will wait for hours and hours to try to fall asleep. And I didn't know the other guys. They were people from his neighborhood. Um, but but so I'm lying there awake. He's asleep. I'm kind of looking at the stars and just thinking, when, how long is this going to happen until I feel drowsy? And the other guys are sitting around the campfire. I can hear him talking. And one guy goes, hey, tell us the story. Um... And he's like, well, I don't often, you know, tell the story, but, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty, it, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he said the word sacred. Uh, and, of course, my ears perked up because I'm like, well, that's, not, that's an interesting word for to be said around a campfire of guys. And so um, he starts in on this story about how there was a, a, a young guy, uh, probably in his 20s, early 20s, that went to help save some people from 
uh, I think it was an electrical crew. They were working on some kind of down power line, and they got somehow they got in trouble with the power line or, or, or something. And he went to go help them, and then he got shocked, and uh, he so much so that it it knocked him out. And this guy who was sitting at the fire telling the story, he watched the whole scene happen. And then he ran out of his office building, you know, crossed the street and grabbed him to pull him to safety. This, you know, this 22, 20 something year old kid to pull him to safety. And somehow uh, electricity is just one of those crazy things. It wants to go to, you know, the ground more than anything and if you're in the electricity and you get grounded, you're going to get burned, you're going to get hit. And that's exactly what happened to this would-be, you know, rescuer of the would-be rescuer. This, this is the second guy, you know, was watching from the office building. He starts to pull the, the young guy away from the, the danger and he gets, he gets grounded somehow and gets shocked. And it practically blows his thumb off. And now he's, so now we've gone from two people in danger now we've got four patients and it nothing against anybody for not knowing the dangers i mean when you want you need to help there are people that need help electricity is an invisible killer you don't know that it's there you you, you know you may not know i i don't know many much of the details beyond what i've just told you um but so now we've gone from two two people that needed to be rescued to now two one guy with a severely uh, severe exit wound from his thumbs almost missing to oh, a person that's that's unconscious not breathing on the ground and uh, so I'm in my tent listening to this whole story and I hurry and put my my clothes on because remember when I worked at the burn center I was going to college and this was after college and I graduated and I was in a whole actually a whole different state in a, a high-tech career and so there's no way that this guy could have known you know, he looked familiar, but a lot of people look familiar, you know, and it's, I just can't go to everybody that looks familiar. Hey, you look familiar. Do you know who, you know, I just, I gave up on that early on, but he did look familiar kind of. So I get my clothes on, go out to the fire. And I was like, I know, I, I thought I knew you and I do know you. I took care of you in the burn center. I said to the other guys sitting around the fire, I said, this guy had this experimental surgery to have a skin flap put on his thumb and... I, I said, I took care of you. I know this whole story. I took care of the young guy that um, that you tried to save. And so that's that uh, was just, I mean, one of those really strange, weird coincidences. But this young guy, um, he was like 20, I think, I, I can't remember exactly his age, 21, 22, and found these people in trouble. I think they were actually utility workers and tried to go help them and got shocked in the process. And, you know, if you're a utility worker, you're working out around high voltage, high amperage, probably um, power lines. And it hit him. And it, he, I can't remember the burns that he had. What happens with electricity is you have an entrance wound and an exit wound. And because electricity wants to go to the ground, it wants to go, it wants to, you know, be returned to the negative, you know. And so I can't remember where his exit and entry wounds were but he so i got to work one night and we're getting report and there's talk of this guy um this kid, this young guy that had been had injured and he wasn't that much younger than i was you know we're kind of relatively in a, in a similar age 
And I thought, you know, I, I want I, to... I, I was always drawn to kind of the unusual case, and I wanted to find out more about it. And so I took him as a patient that first night, and there were just this, like, tons of people, visitors. I mean, it was almost like a line. It was constant. I mean, burn patients, um, you know, they... It, just like anybody else, you have you have family, you have friends, and you'll have visitors, some more than others. But this one was, this patient had to have been like the most popular person in his town because everybody was everybody was coming through, and there was a lot of people. And and uh, I remember that night, um, the 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 process was we would he was unconscious. He I don't think he ever regained consciousness from the time that he was shocked. Um, until they brought him, he obviously was alive, but uh, but his brain had um, lost. Like his brain didn't have any um, e EEG waves, and so unfortunately, his brain had expired, but his body was still struggling to stay, you know, to stay alive. And we would take it. Um, we were waiting for him because the family had expressed their desire to not give up hope, and I would probably be in the same shoes. I don't know how I would feel in that, and I hope I never find out. But I, my heart was, uh, was you know, in the same camp as theirs were, hoping that, against hope, that he could, you know, somehow have a miraculous recovery. Um, but it seemed pretty unlikely, given the, the data uh, that we were seeing and the, the signs and symptoms of all the catastrophic events that had happened to him and and the just the lack of brain activity that that doesn't happen that doesn't come back no matter what but it uh it was so it was my job to obviously you know take his vital signs care for him do uh, treat his wounds but we also take like a q-tip and touch that just ever so gently against the eye and if it twitched, you know, if your eye, because if your your eye wants to, your eyelids want to protect your eye, and if your eyelids will twitch or close a little bit, then there's still brain activity at the lowest levels, right? There's like at the the brain stem, just the lizard brain. It's kind of it's called. If there's activity there, then there's you know there's still some kind of brain activity going on, and he still had that reaction. There's probably a word for it. I I don't remember what it is. Um, but, uh, after I got done with my other patients dressing changes, I came back to the room and, um, spoke with his mom, um, for a while. And I think I've, I already kind of talked about this in another podcast about the cosmic why question, how it should be avoided. And she, she was really struggling with the cosmic why question as to how could this have happened? Why did it happen? And, you know, I still hadn't quite learned my lesson to just not say anything. But um, my my response to her was that he felt, and this was born somewhat of other patients that I'd taken care of that were injured in rescuing type events. And I said he felt, prop, possibly he felt that he could do some good. And, you know, and I explained you know, what, what I had been told before. I've never been in that situation. Well, maybe once, but I, it wasn't a dangerous situation. But the, but it's, I said, he probably didn't think about his own safety except for the safety of those people that, you know, were, were, you know, in trouble. 
and and I said it's it's meant to be I mean these things are a part of the plan you have to think of it like that and she seemed to take a little bit of solace from that because I I kind of knew her faith background her religious background and I played to that because at the same at that time I kind of shared that or at least hoped that that was the the case and it's one of those things where I should have not said anything I should have stayed on the side of healthcare provider not social worker or clinical psychologist or anything way out of my skill set because that's not how I feel now um it's not really how I felt then but I didn't have any other way to make her feel better than to just kind of go along with what I knew she was hoping to hear now could that possibly be the case sure I don't know I I don't know everything I don't know I've, I know very little is it likely the case with what I know if I thought it was likely the case I would probably have a different outlook on things so if I were to be able to go back and put myself back in those shoes I wonder what I would say probably my first choice would be to just listen and allow her to grieve and to not say anything that I didn't believe in was true and if I were forced to give her um, my point of view about that in that situation and being honest about how I feel or what I think awaits us or why the cosmic why I would probably give her the advice is to not ask that question to relish in the, the miracle that he was to to live in the space of what he brought to her life and to do her best to keep that memory alive um, maybe start a, a, a fund in his name to to have some kind of scholarship at the high school to to work in the the to live in the realm of what you can do not what you can't because spending too much time in the the world of what you can't do is just going to cause frustration sadness pain anger you know all those things and i don't know if that advice is good that that advice would help me i i don't know what would have helped her and you know who knows if uh those if she's even still alive today uh, how she feels about that obviously that pain never goes away i remember i read a book recently called um, atlas shrugged uh, and by iron rond and he, there was a point where you know one of the people in the book has to, to deal with the loss of of a loved one and she, and she wrote, uh, one learns to live with an open wound, and that struck me as very true. That some that the the wound never really heals. Somehow you learn to live with it, and I imagine that that was how she um, lived her life after that. And uh, those kinds of experiences are best met with what can be done, what is meaningful to you as a as a as a survivor and what you can do in a respectful way to keep that memory alive and there may be other things and if there are i would love to hear um how you deal with those kinds of those kinds of events so i want you to know how much i appreciate you stopping by and taking an opportunity to share these experiences with me 
part of my journey has been learning how to produce and create music. And uh, I'm going to play one for you if you want to stick around and listen to it. Hope that you enjoy it. <laughs> 